You know, I had woken up right at sunrise and I swigged some plastic bottled vodka that I stole and stepped outside for a cigarette. And I was looking at a beautiful mountain and I, I got that gift, the jumping off place that they describe in the big book. I can't see my life drinking. I can't see my life without it. And I, I cried and I said, please help me. I don't know what to do. Little did I know that that was one of the best prayers you can have. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Okay, today is August 19th, and we have a special guest in the studio today, Paul L. from Holland, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. So we get started in the same way every day. We ask the guests to read the Daily Reflection for the day. Paul, would you get us started? Sounds good. Uh, So daily reflections for August 19th, a frame of reference. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 67? There's a wonderful freedom in not needing constant approval from colleagues at work or from the people I love. I wish I had known about this step before, because once I developed a frame of reference, I felt able to do the next right thing, knowing that the action fit the situation and that it was the correct thing to do. Mm, thanks for reading that. So it's, it's talking about this inventory, you know, putting out of our mind the wrongs others have done. Let me ask you, Paul, what comes to mind when you read this? Uh, I read it before, before the, um, the recording today and, uh, the thing that popped into my mind first was a very magic moment in my recovery. And it was sitting on my sponsor's couch and we were doing, we were doing a fifth step and he handed me a red pen and we filled in the things on my inventory, my faults that I couldn't see. And I remember thinking like, this guy's like a rocket scientist. And like all those things that I couldn't see had caused me so many problems. It was unbelievable. Mm. It it definitely shifted the focus on my past, you know, and I hope that it would, it would give me a smooth, smoother future. That mm. was the first thing that came to mind. Paul, what is your sobriety date? Uh, my sobriety date's November 27th, 2013. Do you want to talk a little bit about what was happening back in November of, uh, of 2013? used to work with a guy and he, he knew I was sober. And one day after working with him for many years, he asked me, so why, why'd you get sober? You know, I had to think about how I was going <laughs> to, I was going to explain <laughs> this, but you know, I mean, as it was, uh, I was living in a town in Southwest Colorado. I had attempted what I now know to be the geographical cure, you know, for my drinking and all my other problems. You know, my experience there in retrospect was beautiful because 
you know, I had started getting fired from jobs for drinking. You know, I had uh, I, was, I had roommates and they loved me, but, you know, it created issues at home. And, you know, the, the, the feelings of hopelessness that I felt from um, how low the alcohol took me, you know, like I, like I had to be told after the fact that I was a low bottom, like I didn't know. I mean, like I paid the rent, paid the cell phone bill, but in between firings, it, you know, it was, it was grimy, you know, like uh, you don't really have any money. And what do you do? You know, the things that I needed every day disappeared in a different order than I thought they would. It was like ramen noodles and plastic bottle of vodka. And I'd be either walking or taking a trolley because my $500 truck broke. But, you know, I, the, after, after going through this cycle a couple of times, the, the last time was the worst and the most demoralizing. And you know, my salvation was a job at a liquor store just north of town. Um, that I was actually hitchhiking to at the time. So that really wore me down. You know, I was hungry. I would wake up with shakes and, you know, all the things that you get when you're getting close to your bottom. And uh, it was a really, really miserable experience. And the, uh, the hitchhiking in the snow did it to me and the waking up with the terror. So, I mean, one day it just came down to, you know, I had woken up right at sunrise and I swigged some plastic bottled vodka that I stole and stepped outside for a cigarette. And I was looking at a beautiful mountain and I, I got that gift. It was the uh, the jumping off place that they describe in the big book, you know, where I, I can't, you know, I can't see my life drinking. I can't see my life without it. And I, I cried and I said, please help me. I don't know what to do. You know, little did I know that that was one of the best prayers you can have. Um, you know, so from there, things happened quickly. I ended up moving back east. You know, I, I asked for help and my parents let me come home to uh, try to tackle this thing. And, um, yeah, I found myself in uh, back in Bucks County and at a meeting. My sponsor chaired the first meeting, and I related to what happened to him when he drank. Mm. That's pretty much how it got started. Yeah. So, so you started going to meetings, and your sponsor. How did you? How did you approach your sponsor? It was funny, actually. I <laughs> I went to a a buddy took me to a meeting the Friday right after Thanksgiving. So I was sober for just a couple of days. And over the weekend, I did nothing. I think I binge watched Breaking Bad and Discovery Channel, and I, I stayed at home out of fear. And I, I went to a meeting on Monday night. My my grand plan at the time was I'm going to go to AA so these people can help me figure out how to get into recovery, get into some kind of rehab because I guess I need professional help. That was my thought. And it, uh, I was too afraid to really talk to anybody about it. I I was silent in the meeting. And I was chain smoking outside the church afterward. And I like, I knew I had to do something, but I couldn't do it. You know, I was, somebody would walk out. I'm like, I'm going to ask them. I'm going to ask them. And then I'd be like, uh, uh, and just watch them pass by over and over. And I remember just having like that, that very clear thought, that voice in your head, like the next guy that comes out of there, I'm going to ask him about rehab. Mm. And sure enough, it was the guy who chaired the meeting on Friday and, uh, it was neat. He kind of laughed, you know, he said, what do I want to know? He, he had been to several. And then in the, in that moment, uh, you know, I was honest. He asked me what, what, where I was at and what was going on. You know, he tells me years later, you know, just blurting out like, Oh my God, hitchhiking, moved back from Colorado, trying to get sober. Just sounded, you know, you know, like I sounded at the time. Hmm. You know, now that you've got some time, and you're looking back. Um, first, I want to ask, how long was it that you were in the program before you actually attempted to get through the steps fully? 
I was very desperate and willing. We mm. read we read the first step, uh, the first half of step twelve in the big book. I was around ninety days, mm-hmm. and and it was very fortunate that I wasn't I wasn't working at the time, so I was going to meetings every day. So I got lots of big book meetings and lots of speaker meetings in, lots of discussions because it 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 takes time to learn how to live by these things. You know, yeah. I heard a lot of people say that they would. You know, they go through the steps or they're going through the steps again, or I I just, I just didn't understand. But the thing I was able to pick up on is, you know, someone would share at a meeting about something that was going on and how they got through it. And they would refer how they used a step for that. And then it it began to come clearer over time. So specifically around the, the using the fourth step, getting into the, to the eighth step and, and developing that list of people we had harmed, um, think about your, your experience and maybe tell me where had you been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and frightened? And what did that look like when you were really trying to do that, that, uh, that step, you know, putting these things down in the, in the context of who you had harmed? When I put them down and I started to look at that, I saw that, you know, like I was, I was demanding in my needs, you know, like the big book says, you know, that will will often be one extreme or the other, you know, we need to be coddled or we need to dominate somebody. It's just never quite right. And I saw that I saw those patterns. A lot of them was, uh, you know, I expected, I expected more than people should have been willing to be able to give, you know, or it was completely indifferent and just went after what I wanted. There was a real wide variation in what was going on there. And, and, and it was those, those wide swings that were causing all the problems. There was mm. never, you know, like, like everything else for me and, and living a spiritual life, it was kind of backwards from what I thought it was. So do you live a spiritual life today? I do the best that I can. Uh, I try really hard. I mean, I think the reality is, is I use these things in my life. I'm sure I could use them more to the extent that I do use them. Um, I don't have so much conflict with other people. I know some kind of peace. The best thing about trying to live this way is I, I've, I've gotten the gift of what I came to AA for in the first place is, mm. is I've got freedom from the obsession of drink one day at a time. That's how I know. That's how I know it's working. No matter what has happened in sobriety, the thought of actually, you know, the obsession and the thought of actually drinking once it left me had, has never returned to this yeah. day. You know, I like that you draw the the distinction and you, you use the word obsession. Do you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, folks that are listening might be, um, might be trying to get sober. Maybe they're sober for a short amount of time. And, you know, I hear words like craving and, and, um, you know, the overwhelming obsession. Do you want to talk a little bit about the difference that you've experienced between cravings and, and obsessions? For me, the way that I knew the, I knew what the obsession was is when this time, like I had had enough, like I had, I had visited AA a few times as a visitor in the past. I had tried to quit drinking on my own a couple of times. And in many of those cases, I had reservations. In the other cases, I succumbed to the powerlessness that I was unaware of my situation. You know, I thought I was choosing to drink. I didn't really realize I didn't have a choice. But in this case, you know, after getting sober, you know, I had, I had disappeared out of that town, like a ghost, like four people knew I left. And when I got back here, nobody knew I was here for a while. It was my mission in life to get sober. I wasn't working. It was, it was the hardest thing I ever did. And under those circumstances, 
I would have these, the thought would come, you know, I'd think about drinking, I'd see a beer commercial and I'd be upset, or I'd look at social media and I'd see people in the bar and like, it bothered me. That was just like one set of like unpleasant feelings. But, you know, if I was going to a meeting every single day and I'm doing outpatient rehab four times a week to try to like stay sober, I would have these, these obsessions would come, you know, and I can think of a couple of them off the top of my head. It happened several times in the first, first nine months, maybe a year. And it was awful. Like Mm -hmm. something would happen or nothing would happen. And then it would be like, I'm going to get drunk. And they were terrifying. Like every time that it happened, either I got lucky or I felt my higher power save me. It was, you know, I heard somebody describe it one time. It's like, uh, like you're hiding in your closet in your bedroom and there's a murderer in your room with a knife. Like, that's what it feels like. I mean, I, I, it was, it was terrifying. Mm. Yeah. I think that people that, that don't suffer from this disease don't quite get it. Something that seems so simple, just don't, don't pick up a drink. Just don't, don't drink. It just seems so simple to normal people. Um, and, you know, and they can't wrap their minds around how this becomes so difficult. What ways did you try to stop before finding the program? Um, well, I tried, I tried controlling it. You know, I tried many of the various things that, that, that I did to, to try to prove to myself that I wasn't an alcoholic. You know, I would try to, you know, I'll just drink beer or I'll drink less shots than wheels or, you know, like I just won't drink and drive. And, you know, I think that the, I think one or two times when I was living in Colorado, it was a bit of a blur towards the end. I had actually like tried to stop drinking. Like I talked to my roommates about it. You know, I think, I think our literature refers to it as like a solemn oath, you know, like, but yeah, I'd like count the days and talk about it at work. And just like every other time, you know, something would happen. Usually I would feel better and then I would think it's going to be okay again. You know, Mm. like what a gift for me to understand you know, what the chapter more about alcoholism, you know, it's showing me how my mind is going to fail. You know, so often I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there in a meeting and I'm like, maybe they didn't have it as bad as I did. (laughs) Maybe they don't know what this means, but they're trying to stay sober anyway. And like, that's gotta be better than whatever they were doing before. So I shouldn't judge. But for me, like I could relate, you know, my mom, I'm not going to care. I'm going to drink on a lie or I'm going to have a mental blank spot and that's where I'm going to take the first one and I'm done. In my, in my early sobriety, I, I received another gift of a, of a dream of a relapse of being drunk again in the places that I started drinking in some like dingy motel rooms in South Florida. And the, the terrifying thing about it was I had the thought of how did I get started again? You know, if, 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 if I know I need to stop drinking, I only need to go to one AA meeting if I'm not an alcoholic. I just don't drink. My real problem is I can't stop starting. Mm-hmm. That's the powerlessness. I mean, when I when I drink, I couldn't control it. That didn't you didn't have to sell me that too hard. That made sense right away. But I didn't understand the danger. You know, when I woke up from that dream, I had my first like, you know, I don't want to call it a spiritual experience because I didn't have a I didn't have that that full change, but it gave me a taste frightened me beyond belief it felt like someone was there and in that brief moment i started to understand like why are these people trying to help me why do they give me their phone number why are they willing to help because no one else can they don't even know what we're talking about 
And also too, in that moment, I saw when I was, you know, when I was younger, I had gone to AA, I had a good scare and I, I went to the meetings and I didn't drink. I didn't realize my peril, nor did I realize that AA offered me a solution to my problem. So I didn't even know what the problem really was. And I didn't know that there was a solution. So you know how that worked out. But, you know, I went to a party with friends from work who knew I was not drinking and they were happy about it. Mm. And my last thought before I started drinking again was just one won't hurt me. My previous drinking experience proved that that was not the case. (laughs) And uh, when I started, when I started drinking that time, it, it took me to the end. It was about 16 years. So this time after I had, I woke up from that dream, I owned the sense of urgency that mm. something must be done now or like maybe I'm not going to make it. Mm. What am I going to do? I'm going to pick up again and I won't see it coming like getting hit by a bus and I'll drink for the rest of my life and die or I could do something now. So you mentioned, you know, questioning why these people are are so willing to help you. And I'm curious if now that you're in sobriety, you've got some time, um, are you helping others and why do you do it? I do. I do my best. You know, the, the three legacies have given me a way to live that it, it's, it is, it's beyond my wildest dreams. I feel funny saying that, that I am even willing to give or do anything for anybody else is amazing. You know, I do it. I do it primarily because I was taught that I need to give it away if I want to keep it, you know, to get off, to get off this track now would, would be a ticking time bomb for me. The other reason I do it is because I feel like I, like I owe those who did it for me. I do it to stay sober. Someone did it for me. I find that when I do, I'm really not thinking about a drink for sure. And, uh, when I'm helping somebody understand how I got and stay sober, it's just a whole lot easier to stay sober and it's, it cements it in my mind. So I love that. And um, I'm curious if you've got any advice for listeners that may be thinking about changing the way that they're living as it relates to, to substances or, or alcohol. People that don't have a problem with substances don't, don't sit around and think about if they want to change their life as it relates to substances. <laughs> You know, if you're thinking about it, you're probably it. I, I would suggest to keep an open mind. Try to identify. It's easy to compare, and then you're going to miss the point. You might miss mm. your chance, too. Well, Paul, this has been a great discussion. I want to thank you for taking time to talk with me. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we, we wrap up? At the time, I, I thought it was a disaster. Like I could, I couldn't even believe what had happened to me. You know, I didn't really know how things were going to turn out. It's, it's turned out to be, be a true gift, you know, to be able to just deal with whatever comes my way, you know, to know that if I keep doing these things that I can be okay one day at a time, you know, to, to, to go to the grocery store and not, not be upset that there's <laughs> wine bottles in there, you know, to go to my best friend's wedding and not be disturbed that they're drinking beer. You know, I was just there for him. And, and you know, and that, that was the part of the change. It wasn't about me anymore. It's about mm. being there for others. So everything is new. Everything's new every time. It, it's, it's replaced the way I used to live before in a more satisfying way than I thought was even possible. It's a beautiful thing. Paul, thanks again. It's been great chatting. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups 
slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.